Good morning again. In case you weren't here at the very beginning, my name is Chris Vincent. I'm a member here, as we kind of been mentioning, Pastor Dave and his family, their summers in the mountains, enjoying a great vacation. We're so grateful that as a church we can allow our pastor to, to go renew himself and rest. So uh, we're praying that they have a great time. And so it's my pleasure to be here this morning going through the sermon on First Peter uh, chapter 1 is where we're going to be kind of camping out for the entire Sunday. What I want to kind of do is just walk through the scripture. And the, the whole scripture is all about something called a living hope, as Peter describes. So I want to walk through that with you and talk about what that means. And if the church would indulge me, I want to kind of share a personal story on, on what I've seen in my life how the scripture has spoken to me and how it's helped me through very difficult times. Um, and it's not because I'm up here desiring to give a testimony, but I just think uh, sometimes personal story really does help crystallize what God's talking about in scripture um, and what he's really trying to get at. So if you've got your Bibles in front of you, if you were to open up to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, and we're going to be going through verses 3 all the way down through 9, and we'll be camping out there again for, for all of the service today. Everything he needs right there. Let's start off by talking about Peter. Peter, I think, is one of the more unique apostles that we have throughout Scripture. And his ability to just, you know, the fact that he was there when Christ was crucified. He was his best friend. He portrayed Christ three times, if you remember. And his, his perspective on Christ and who he is, is is just, like, magnificent. And what you see in First Peter, I think, is a lot of that perspective coming out. And just understanding how important Christ is and, and how important the resurrection is. In First Peter, what is going on here is Apostle Peter is trying to be the good pastor to a, a bunch of churches that are in a lot of trouble. He's writing this letter to the church, which is in modern Turkey right now. And, and it's a church that, that is going through persecution, a church that people are being jailed for their beliefs, and people are being mocked and ridiculed. Um, it's, it's a very difficult situation that they're going through up there. When it came to Christians, the, the Greeks and the Romans, they didn't really know what to do with these guys. They're very weird people to them. They, they just kind of withdrew from society. They stopped participating in the pagan worship. They would kind of just get together, and the, the early church called them these love fests, where they would get together and, and just sing songs about how God is, is, is king. And we read this letter last week, actually, in Sunday school, about how after they would go through you know, the, the worship service and praising God, and loving on each other, they would then break and they would eat, as this one letter we've read, um, normal food and just break bread together. Um, the, the potluck tradition is literally centuries old around here, going way, way back. And so for the Romans and for the, the Greeks, they, they didn't know what to do, but they knew it wasn't right and it was causing problems. I have an excerpt from that letter, actually, that um, was written by one of the governors in the very region that Pete is writing to. And he actually has this to say, which kind of I think is, is interesting to kind of give you a little insight into just what was going on and what their perspective on this was. 
Here, a Roman governor is written to the emperor saying it's certainly clear that the temples, which had been almost deserted, have begun to be frequented, that the established religious rites long neglected are being resumed, and that from everywhere sacrificial animals are coming, for which until now very few purchasers could be found. Hence it is easy to imagine what a multitude of people can be reformed if an opportunity for repentance is afforded. Here we are in this one city, and Christianity had so established itself that the temples were being deserted, the sacrificial animals were just kind of sitting around, inventory was piling up, and they were just like, it was was like everything that was normal for their society was looking very, very strange. Later on in this letter, we learned that they started to actually persecute the Christians, they would actually drag them out, put them in front of, of, of a court, and, and under threat of jail or worse, execution, um, tell them to recant their faith in Christianity. And so here we are in this church where it felt like we had the momentum, and it felt like the, the city was changing. Now all of a sudden, the government is coming down hard on them uh, with, with real threats, And so now here's Peter, the good pastor, trying to figure out, how can I help these people? How can I sustain this church? How can I give them hope? And that's what I want to explore, what Peter has to say to them, and and really what it means for us, and how we can draw some hope from that as well. So we're going to start right there in 1 Peter, um, and let's look at the very first verse in there and what he says. Because it, it's, it starts off in a very remarkable way. So verses 1 through 2 happen. Got the hellos, how you doings out of the way, all that greetings. And the very first thing that Peter says to them in this letter is this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, that right there, there, there's so much packed in there, and there's so many questions. I don't know if it's the same questions that you have, but one of the first questions I have is, is where is our hope? It's in whose resurrection? Why is it not in my resurrection that I have my hope? It's outside of me. My hope is in the resurrection of Christ. And not only is my hope outside of me in Christ, but apparently that is a dynamic hope. It is a living hope. It is a hope that apparently is not a one and done, but it is continuously changing and, and rising up to meet us in our, wherever we need that hope to be. And the other thing that is remarkable that Pete says here is not only is my hope in the resurrection of Christ, not in my resurrection, and not only is that hope living, but also if we allow it to, what could that hope actually do for you? It says it right there, it can give us a new birth. And so what Pete is trying to describe here is that there is a living hope that is available to the Christian, that, that if you allow it to do it, 
will actually change you into a new person. The new birth, this is like, you know, language that Christians, I think, know very well. Um, but it's something that I think it's, it's not always well appreciated, what we're really talking about when we say new birth. Sometimes I think for the Christ follower, when we see new birth, when we see, you know, I'm a new person, a new creation, it's kind of like I'm Chris Vincent, I just added on church on Sundays. Or I'm me, but I just added on um, a 10% tithe every Sunday. Um, I'm still me, except, you know, I say nicer words to my children, that kind of thing, right? Um, but, but for Christ and for, for Peter, this idea of a new birth is, is something much deeper than that. It's this idea that, that whatever you were before is completely new. Whoever you were before, you're nothing like that anymore. And so apparently, this hope, this living hope that we can have in Christ is able to transform you into a completely different person, so much so that you look nothing like the person that you were before. And so the question is, how does it do that? Why does it do that? Um, why is hope that powerful? Um, there's been so many people that have written about the, the topic of hope, and I think it's so fascinating that, that this is where uh, Peter turns our attention to when, when we're talking about a church that is just like being persecuted and beaten down and just tortured and executed, um, he turns them into hope as, as a remedy for what is going on there. Why is hope that powerful? Why is hope that important? There's a man, this author, uh, Victor Frankl. He wrote this book titled A Man's Search for Meaning. Victor Frankl was a, a Jewish man that went through the concentration camps during World War II. He started off at Auschwitz and ended up in a different concentration camp in Dachau. And he writes about his experience of going through concentration camp and just seeing what was going on all around him. And if you can imagine what it would be like in a concentration camp, forced labor, the value of life just being completely thrown away, People all around him dying, um, people just, just, just being um, tortured, people just being um, experimented on. It, it, was, it was an extremely intense situation. He was observing that for the people that were able to kind of get through the concentration cap, the, the importance of finding a greater meaning or purpose in their circumstances. In other words, the, the people that couldn't find meaning or any kind of purpose while they're in the situations, he observed them really just, just kind of breaking down and just becoming um, just shell of their former selves. There's this word they used in the concentration cap for the kind of people that would end up just being completely spiritually, emotionally, and physically broken. They call it give up titus, that they would just give up. And they would just give in to their circumstances. And... and when that happened, he observed that it was usually a very short, straight line from where they were to ultimately their death. And so he kind of was a guy that observed all different kinds of behaviors and, and reactions. He observed some people that would kind of give in to fantasy, and they would say that they would just, you know, this is a temporary thing, um, I'm here for right now, but... 
I know I'm going to go back to my, my former life in six months and the war will be over. Um, I'll go back to my wife. I'll go back to my kids. And, and he followed up with these people actually after they were released from the camp. And he found almost all of them putting their, their, their belief and hope in these things like that, um, these fantasies or things that, that had no hope of coming true, actually being worse off once they returned back to their normal lives. And so he has this quote that is really fascinating about the people there that made it through on the other side and just like what he was observing. And he said this right here. The prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and became become subject to mental and physical decay. What he's observing is just that the, the folks and the people that had found purpose and had found a way to, to have faith in their future and find a future in something, he observed that they actually made it through the concentration camp relatively unscathed. They made it through and they resumed their lives and, and they, they seemed to be able to kind of just return back to their normal lives. And all of this has to do with the fact that, that there are some people in that terrible situation able to find hope, a real hope to put the, their, their faith into, and that was the thing that allowed them to get through the concentration camp. It's a magnificent book, and I would, would recommend it to anyone to just kind of read through. It's, it's autobiographical mostly and just his observations. Victor Frankl has his thumb on in this book is the same exact thing that Peter has his thumb on in 1 Peter 1. The same kind of thing that gets, gets somebody through a concentration camp and the horrors of the camp is the same thing that Pete knows that this church here in modern-day Turkey needs to get through the persecution and the suffering that they're going through. It is hope that they need. For Victor, he might kind of disagree on what exactly that hope would look like. Because he describes hope that a baker had. You know, a baker said that he was just going to have hope that he was going to be able to return to his job and continue doing that. And that helped him get through the camp. And musician, he had hope that he'd be able to play the piano one day. Victor Franco himself was a psychiatrist, and he had his hope in the ability to resume doing his practice. In fact, even while in the concentration camp, he snuck around notes and would actually give sessions to the different inmates in there. And that gave him hope and to help him go through. Peter would direct our attention to having hope in something greater than our circumstances, greater than what is around us, but instead to put our hope into a living hope, namely the resurrection of Christ. So Peter kind of walks through this. And the one thing that he also adds in here that I think is, is very important to understand is that it's not just, just a, a hope that we get, but what kind of hope it is. Therefore, he says, after he says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he continues on and said, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And so a hope that can transform you into a completely different person and a hope that is able to be dynamic and living, 
but also a hope that can never spoil, never fade, and never deteriorate. That is the kind of hope that Peter wants to give this church and help sustain them in these difficult times. Let's explore two things here in 1 Peter. What he is going to show us here in the marine verses is these two things. How this new humanity that he's talking about, this new person, um, somehow it only happens through our suffering. But when we allow it to, when we allow that suffering to do this, it can transform us into people of deep wisdom and deep joy. So, the question is how? How does he do that? He continues on there. Um, in verse 4, he kind of gives us like a, a banking metaphor there, right? Like there's this inheritance that we get there. There's something that we're given that, that just cannot be spoiled, cannot be taken away, and cannot be removed from us. He talks about that in verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In verse 6, he then continues on and says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now stop for a moment there and and think through that. What is Peter saying here in verse 7? Is he saying that when you have this living hope, that everything is going to be great and you're going to be happy and things are just going to turn out wonderful. Obviously not, but this is like, I think, the thing that Christians kind of think, right? We kind of think that this is like what the Bible is telling us. This is what we think that that God is saying that, you know, when times get tough, just turn that smile upside down and away you go. And that that is absolutely not what what he is saying. Um, I mean, think about Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's about to go through a brutal execution and he's sitting there praying to God, um, how would you describe his emotions in that moment? It's certainly not very happy. It's certainly not very encouraged. He seems to be in deep, deep suffering. He seems to be really, really struggling with what is going on there. And, and this is, I think, one of the important things to understand about suffering. And this is why it's, it's, it's connected to how suffering can transform you. For, for any of us that are going through tough times and are enduring suffering, enduring pain, sometimes it's very difficult to receive the, those things without becoming bitter and upset and hostile to the world. And what Peter would encourage us to do is when these things come into our life, finding a way to accept them in such a way where, where they don't cause you to become filled with grief, but instead allow them to fill you with joy and knowing that there's something greater in this world that I can have purpose in. It's a very difficult thing for any of us to allow any kind of suffering or pain to come into our lives and to accept it in such a way for what it is Um, but not allow it to completely bury us. I think what helps explain verse 7 the most is when you get to verse 8. In verse 8, Peter talks about here, uh, or excuse me, verse 7. He says here, These have come so that the, the proven genuineness of your faith, 
of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Um, to understand that, you got to kind of know how uh, metalworking works, right? Because um, what he's describing here is really just a process of how you take metal and you refine it. Um, full disclosure, I have no idea how all that stuff works. Um, I'm real great at computer, but I have no idea how to smelt. So don't worry, I Googled it. But when you get to smelting, like he's describing here, it's a process where you dig a whole bunch of stuff out of the earth. And then what you have to do is to get that that metal that you care about in there, you put it into an extremely hot fire. And that fire will begin to burn off all those impurities. You start scooping off the top and skimming off all the things that shouldn't be there until eventually you're left with, with just the thing that you want, in this case, gold. What he's describing here is what suffering can do for us and why suffering is a thing that can transform you and transform me into a new kind of person. When we allow suffering to come into our lives and we accept it and allow it to, to shape us, Peter says here in 7 that, that when that happens, you are refined. And as a result, you may praise and glorify and honor Jesus Christ whenever he is revealed. When suffering and tragedy comes into your life, I think what 6 and 7 are telling us is there's, there's two ways you can roll with that, right? You can let suffering come into your life, and you can let it harden your heart. You can let it fill you with grief. You can let it cripple you. It could set you on paths towards self-destruction. It could set you on paths where you, you blow up your relationships. Or, as Peter encourages us, find a way to allow that grief and that sorrow to make you into a better person. Um, in, in my own life, um, a couple of years ago, I experienced um, a very difficult moment. Um, I come from a family of, of four children, and it's my older brother, I'm the middle child, and I have um, two sisters that are actually identical twins younger than me. And we found out around 2015, um, my, my youngest sister, by minutes, um, she was actually diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, barely 30 years old. And then she went through five long years of, of treatments, of different surgeries, um, different treatment plans, until finally in, in 2019, in October, um, after 92 treatments, um, the oncologist told us, that's it. She's done. Um, my younger sister who died right in the middle of her 30s, leaving behind two young children at the age of 10, was, was a tough time in my life. And 
the words that you read through here in First Peter are the exact kind of words that, that you need to, to, to navigate a situation like that. Um, I miss Trisha very much, but because of that, that thing that happened to me, it has transformed me and, and turned me into a different person. Um, people have been around for a long time on this earth. Um, you're not immune to, to seeing tragedy and suffering and, and seeing loved ones lost, seeing uh, sickness come into your life. Um, and you know this, right? Those that have been around a long time, that you have to contend with this, right? You have to find a way to, 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 to reckon with the mortality of our lives. And for me, as I reckoned with this and, and leaned into a living hope that is Jesus Christ, um, I find myself looking at the world differently. Um, there's certain things that used to bother me that, that you know, don't bother me anymore. Um, I understand probably now more than I ever have before just how important every person in this room is, how important they are, how much they are loved, because I've never loved or cared about my sister more in, in those final years of her life, knowing that my time was, was finite. You have different perspectives. You understand how important God is in your life. You understand how trivial some of the things that you worry about really are. Thank goodness, you know, that experience came into my life. And God, being a living hope, helped me navigate it and come out on the other end, just, just embracing life, embracing God's creation more, and embracing my church family more. Suffering has a way of refining you and helping you understand what is really important in this world and what is just nonsense and noise. And, and that's what this, this hope in the resurrection is, and that's why it's a living hope. The hope I needed in 2019 was something that I needed really, really badly. Um, as you walk through that, and as, as you know, that burden is kind of lifted and you're breathing the air a little bit more, um, you realize, well, I'm doing great, but now I have a nephew who's, who's you know, barely a teenager, um, another nephew who's just coming into that teenage years, and, and I didn't even know I needed hope in that situation back then. But that's what we mean when we say it's a living hope. Because I need something to hope in now for those little children so that God will protect them and watch over them and care for them. And that's why we say it's a living hope because this, this hope, it changes. Whatever I thought I needed back in 2019 is completely different than the hope that I need here in 2022. And that's why when we talk through First Peter, this living hope and putting our faith through it and how it just refines us and how it, it preserves us. And it's something that nothing can take away from you. Nothing can spoil it. Nothing can cause it to fade. But instead is, is shielded for you by God in heaven. In other words, in a place that nobody can touch it. Suffering has a way of turning you into a brand new person. But 
it only happens when you place your hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that brings us all the way back to the beginning. Why is it that our hope is not in our resurrection? Why is it that the hope isn't in our eternal destiny? Where is our hope? It is actually in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason why our hope has to be in Jesus Christ is because we cannot place our hope in anything around us or anything that is within us. It has to be 100% in Christ. Um, I love my children and I love my wife a lot. But I, I cannot ask them to be my hope. And I cannot ask my children to give me hope. Because um, who knows, right? Who knows? Your hope has to be in something that is eternal, permanent, and, and it has to be in the resurre- resurrection of Christ. Somebody that is so committed to you and so committed to, to loving you that he gave up his life for you so that you could be with him for eternity. This is the importance of the resurrection, and this is the importance of putting our hope into that. God talks often throughout Scripture just how how he is for you and he is for us. Um, The key is putting our hope in him and in the resurrection. Um, In Isaiah, he talks about these verses right here, giving hope to a hopeless Uh, nation, Israel mainly. Um, He says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am your Lord, the God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. God is for you and he loves you so much that he gave his son. And it is in the resurrection of Christ that we find our ultimate hope. And I don't know where you are this morning. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what pain you're enduring, what sadness and what suffering, what anxieties you have. But I promise you, if you lean into what First Peter 1 is talking about here, placing our hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has a way of transforming you and turning you into a, a better person, a better human being, with wisdom, with, with intelligence, with, with compassion, and, and it can transform you into the person that God has created you to be more. Suffering has a way of doing that if we allow it to. And so I would encourage you throughout this week as you go forward, whatever that thing is going on in your life, whatever you're struggling with, whatever, whatever God has in front of you, look to the cross. Look to Christ for finding your hope in that situation. Don't look in things around you. Don't look towards other people. Because they can never 
give us the hope that we find in the resurrection. And if you do that, it will refine you and purify you and, and give you true hope in this life no matter what is thrown at your way. Amen? Why don't you close in some prayer with me as the uh, band comes up. God, thank you so much for, for this time. God, we just pray that you would just help us to lean into you and your resurrection, Lord. No matter what is going on in our life, what pain and suffering we're enduring, Lord, we look towards the resurrection of Christ for our answer to everything. Lord, it is our hope and is where we find strength. Lord, we're just so grateful for this time. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name.